So we can um, we can just listen and say set it down this way. We mentioned last last week. I'll start from there. The Baal Shem Tov, for reasons best known to himself, kept himself out of direct contact with Reb Shneur Zalman. He did not permit Borach, the father of Reb Shneur Zalman, to take to take his son with him on visits to Mezbesh. And he enjoined Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, that was Reb Shneur Zalman's uncle who was also his teacher following his bar mitzvah, and he was also a student of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem enjoined Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak from telling his nephew anything about him. Shneur Zalman is not destined to be my, my disciple. He belongs to my successor, meaning the Magad of Mezerich. From the day... I'm sorry, let's go over here. In the year 5520, right, so that's Tuf Kuf Chaf, and that would be 1760. So Rav Shneur Zalman is at that point 15 years old, and that's the year the Baal Shem Tov passed away. Shneur Zalman was as yet unaware of the Besht, the Baal Shem Tov. It was only in the month of Elul that year, after the Petira of the Baal Shem Tov, that Shneur Zalman's teacher and Rebbe, his uncle, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, told him of the Baal Shem Tov and conveyed to him some of his teachings of Hasidus and the Hasidic way. So a little bit after the Petira of the Baal Shem Tov, the uncle of the Baal Tanya began telling him, teaching him a little bit about the Baal Shem. The fame of this young Ilui, and Ilui is a genius and a prodigy, reached Vitebsk, where one of its most prominent Jews, Yehuda Leib Siegel, a man of wealth and scholarship, wished to have him as his son-in-law. He approached Nir Zalman's father, Boruch, and the match was duly arranged. So Shidduch was proposed for the young Nir Zalman and the daughter of Yehuda Leib Siegel, who was a Gevir and a Talmud Chacham in the city of Vitebsk. Here, Fredson, here's one for you. You get to have one, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was later to be a very great rabbi who came from Vitebsk, Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Vitebsk, one of the contemporaries, older colleagues of the Balatanya. Okay. At the age of 15, Schneer Zalman married his wife, Sterna. He, she turned out to be a worthy mate who stood by him throughout a lifetime of many tribulations. They got married on... I'm sorry? Hi. Good morning, Mr. Rosamond. Hi. Sure, please. Now I need to talk to you. Oh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
Don't worry, I'm not in trouble from the principal, okay? <laughs> okay. So a little further, they got married at 15, they settled in Vitebsk. And then the father-in-law, Rabbi Hudalev Siegel, gave as a dowry 5,000 gold coins. That's a lot of money. That was to be his dowry. However, the young Shner Zalman made it conditional that it would be placed entirely at his own discretion as to what to do with it. And he agreed. Within the first year of their marriage, Nir Zalman, with his wife's consent, placed the entire amount in a fund to help Jewish families settle on land and engage in agricultural pursuits. They were aided in the acquisition of farmland, farming implements, flour milling, spinning, weaving wool and linen, and in similar pursuits of a livelihood. Thanks to his help, many Jewish settlements sprang up in the vicinity of Vitebsk, along the banks of the river. Schneer Zalman continued to speak publicly from time to time to encourage Jews to give up peddling and to take up some agricultural pursuit. He also visited Jewish settlements and urged the Jewish farmers to arrange periodic study groups for the adults, studying Chumash, Midrash, and Agadita. His endeavors to encourage Jews to settle on land were also in line with the general policy of the government in Poland and Lithuania. Facing the growing hostility of the urban classes toward the Jews, whose competition in trade and commerce they feared, the government offered various incentives to induce more and more Jews to settle in the country and villages. As a, re as a result, many Jews with no definite trade turned to mixed farming and agriculture for their livelihood. So he did that as a teenager. 5,000 gold coins in a fund to help people have parnasa, work the land, and he was in line with what the government wanted to. That's pretty amazing insight into his already young and mature life. In Vitebsk, Ribschner Zalman was in close proximity to his distinguished uncle and teacher, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. The latter introduced him to the teaching of Hasidus and the ways of the Hasidic Avodas Hashem, as taught by the Baal Shem Tov, and now continued by his disciple and successor, the Magad of Mezerich. Their sessions lasted over a period of two years. Rabbi Shneur Zalman's prominent father-in-law, who had dealings with members of the landed nobility, introduced his brilliant son-in-law to members of the nobility and high officials. Two episodes are related about Rabbi Shneur Zalman at that time, which enhanced his reputation as a scientist among the local nobility. One was the occasion when Rabbi Shneur Zalman solved the problem of a truant sundial which adorned the garden of the governor of Vitebsk. The sundial, which had been working perfectly, suddenly ceased to function during part of the afternoon in cloudless skies. The governor, so it is related, called in several scientists, but they failed to solve the mystery. 
the young Rabbi Shneer Zalman was then called in and he succeeded in placing the cause of the malfunction in an obstruction created by trees that had grown tall on a hill at a certain distance away. The other episode concerned a mathematical problem which the head of the local higher academy of Professor Marcel had been struggling with for a long time and Rabbi Shneer Zalman solved it for him. Very interesting, there's a very similar story about the Goan of Vilna too. It's happened to both of them. Rabbi Zalman's reputation and acquaintance with the local nobility stood him in good stead in his work on behalf of his brethren and in crucial periods of his career. By the time he was 18 years old, thanks to his extraordinary assiduity and brilliance of mind, he had become proficient in the entire Talmudic literature with all its commentaries and early and late codifiers. So basically, Bucky and Torah at the age of 18. At the same time, he studied the classics of Jewish philosophy and Kabbalah, the Shlah, the Shnei Luchos Habris, and the Zohar. Mishnir Zalman gathered around him a group of young men of excellent scholarship, led them in the study of Talmud as well as in the discipline of Kabbalah. They organized a small minion and davened in the manner of the saintly Shlah, that's Shnei Luchos Habris, who lived about 100 years earlier, 150 years earlier. <laughs> For three years he led this group, and his reputation as a Talmud Chacham and teacher was further enhanced. Rishnir Zaman had already conceived a new system of Avodas Hashem based on the central principle that love of Hashem and fear of Hashem must derive first from an intellectual approach with a profound comprehension of the greatness of Hashem. He also elaborated the methods of attaining this by the application of the principle of seeing Hashem in, in, one's, in the world and in oneself, so to speak. An inductive method leading from the microcosm to the macrocosm and from the analogy of the powers of the neshama that we have in using them to relate to Hashem's midas. Okay, that's the end of that uh, chapter. So we're right up to the point which we'll talk about next time where the Balatanya has the decision as to where to go learn, in Vilna, by the Gaon of Vilna, or in Mezerich, by the Magad of Mezerich. That will be the next decision. Stay tuned for next time, right? Yeah, please, Ms. Emma. Yeah, this is a biography of Rabbi Shur Zalman Vladi, the Balatanya, written by Rabbi, or Dr. Nissen Mindel. Okay. So it's a bit philosophical. We'll get a few pieces uh, each week. Now we're going to go back to our Peric tests. Does anybody here need a uh, photocopy? We still have a few left. Can you send that back? Okay. Anybody else? Linda? Yeah, please. Uh, I think that would be too broad of a statement. We'll, we'll see that he emphasizes starting with what he calls Chachma and Bina, with intelligence, contemplation, and then that produces emotion. That's one of the m main principles of Chabad, and, and the truth is it's very 
broad in many paths of Hasidus that you start there and produce through comprehension emotion of Ava and Ira. But it's not exclusive, and sometimes you can go the other direction, most certainly. Sometimes it starts with an emotion. But that's one of the uh, primary paths that the Balatanya teaches. Okay, yes, please, sir. All right, so I kind of glossed over that a little bit because I was afraid that it might be misunderstood. All right, so because it's, it says literally about comparing the powers of the neshama to the infinite powers of Hashem. I didn't want that to be misunderstood that the neshama is part of Hashem, which it's not. We've talked about that before. It's a creation by Hashem. It's not Hashem. So I didn't want to create that confusion. But you see it in the Gomorrah also that the kochos of the neshama, the powers of the soul, are used as an analogy to the way Hashem relates to the world. So just as Hashem's presence fills the world, the neshama fills the body. And it's not a direct analogy because we're talking about Hashem. We can never make a direct analogy. That was the basic idea. Yes, Mira, please. When we start this, I'm going to recap it. I'm going to recap it before we go weiter, for sure, because we need that, uh, that uh, continuity. Yeah. Please, sorry. Brief aside, since you're speaking about the, the knowledge in yeah. the secular fields. Yes. Um, the Vilna Gaon was yeah. an accomplished mathematician. Yes, he was. In fact, some of, there's something called Kramer's Law, which right. is in math. From him. It's still used, but it's uh, the Vilna Gaon. Yes. That was his last name. Yeah, that was yes. his last name. Yeah. Sure, thank you. Okay, so the brief recap is this. We started a parakhtes, and we said that there is a nefesh ha-bahamis, which is the, so to speak, more base life force, literally animal soul within a person. And those are our drives in life, our basic life drives. Valtanya said that where that resides in a person is in the left chamber of the heart. And from there it spreads out to the rest of the body, including to the mind. So a person's passions and drives can rise to one's mind and then we're thinking about our passions and our drives. That's the Nefesh Bahamas. It comes from what he calls the Klipas Noga. And Klipas Noga is a realm of creation that contains both Tov and Ra. So the Jewish Nefesh Bahamas, we're not talking about our Neshama, the Jewish Nefesh Bahamas has Tov and Ra. It has very positive drives toward chesed and rachamim, compassion, and it has negative drives, more base drives. That's the Jewish nefesh ha-bahamis. Yes, Rabbi, please. You're saying the Jewish nefesh ha-bahamis. Yes. So they're saying that the nefesh ha-bahamis is different. Right, there's a different nefesh ha-bahamis for a Jew than there is for a non-Jew. It's, it's species-specific in animals, and it's also human-specific. There's a Jewish nefesh ha-bahamis, and there's a non-Jewish nefesh ha-bahamis, and they have different drives. Are there just two, or are there like 70 percent of Yeah, each of the umos sa'olam seemingly would have something a little bit unique about that, but it's generally the same. It's generally the same regarding the umos sa'olam. There's something a little different about each nation, but generally the same. I don't know if he said something himself or someone else that you can't learn 
about the Jewish body from the cadaver of the nun of the Gentiles. Right, that was the Chassim Sofer who wrote that. Um, he was telling a medical student in his time that he, he can't learn about a Jewish body by studying a non-Jewish cadaver, which is a very you know, fascinating insight, right? Because it's, it's done all the time. Nonetheless, that's what the Chassim Sofer said. Would that, I mean, would that relate to this? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. So that's the Nefesh HaVahamis. Now then we have the Nishrama within a Persian, which is he calls the Nefesh HaElokis the godly soul within a person. And as always, remember that our neshama is not a piece of God. Right? Hashem cannot be broken down into parts. He's achdus hapashud, he's absolute oneness. Our neshama was created by Hashem. It's a created thing, but it is not part of Hashem. But it's godly in its nature. So our neshama ho'elokis, which has very lofty and highly spiritual aspirations, where it resides in the human being is in our mind. That's where it resides, and from there it goes to the rest of the body, including to the right chamber of the heart, the right side of the heart. So you have inside of our heart, therefore, two things going on. On the left side is the Nefesh HaBahamas, which is our more base drives, and on the right side are our emotions and passions that derive from our neshama, which are very lofty passions and drives, very lofty, idealistic passions. So both of those are going on inside of our heart. And from there, they affect the rest of the body. All right, so that's the basic place where we got to. And we'll go a little weiter from... Let me just make sure I got where we left off. What I'm going to do, I'm going to start actually from that second place because we need to go from there to get the idea. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines into it. There's a period and it says, Ach, Makom, Mishkan, Nefesh, Elokis. Gil, any question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the one starts in the brain. Mm-hmm. Right, the, nef- the, the neshama starts in the brain and goes to the heart and to the rest of the body. The nefesh abahamas starts in the left side of the heart and goes from there to the rest of the body. Physiological example is that the blood is pumped from the heart and goes to the rest of the body, including the brain. The whole nervous system is connected to the brain and goes down from there to the body. That's the physiological parallel of this. Yeah, neshama and nefesh elokis is two words for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll start from there. Ach, makom mishkan nefesh elokis, but the residence of our higher neshama, who b'mochin shebarosh, it's in our mind. That's where it starts. Umisham mispashetes l'chol ha'ivarim, and from there it goes forth to all other limbs and organs of the body. Vigam belev b'cholol hayamini, including the right side of the heart, she'ein bodam, which has no blood. We talked about that a little bit last week. Kamosh kasuv lev chacham liyamino. It says Shlomo Hamelach that the heart of a wise person is to his right. V'hi ahavas Hashem karishve esh. 
So how does that display itself in the right side of the, house, of the heart? He says, it's a powerful love of God. Shalheves, a flame. Mislaheves, believe, maskilim, hamavinim, umisbonim, bedaitam. In the heart of those, and now we're going right to this point that he mentioned in the book that Linda asked about, that a person who's maskilim and mavinim and misbonim bedaitam, that they're thinking about God, meaning with their mind, intellectually. They're putting their mind on Hashem. They're contemplating Hashem deeply. So what happens that Asher B'mocham, in their mind, bidavorim ha'ma'oririm es ha'ava, and then these thoughts awaken the emotion of love. So he's starting there with his boninus, which is reflection and deep thought. And from there, it produces a powerful love of Hashem. That's the journey from the brain to the right side of the heart in a more specific exposition. V'chein, likewise, simchas leva, that will also produce joy in the heart. B'tiferes Hashem, with God's glory. V'hadar ono and his great honor. Kasher ene hachacham, as a wise person, asher berosho b'moach achmasa ubinaso, that they see with the eye of their mind, meaning they're using their intelligence. Mistaklim b'yakora d'malka, and they gaze upon the glory of the king, that means they're thinking about Hashem. V'tiferes so and his greatness. Ad ein cheker, which is um, incomprehensible, ve'ein sof, and it's infinite, v'tachlis, and it has no end. K'mavur b'makom acher, as we've said before. V'chein she'ar midos kedosho she'belev. Likewise, he says, now a general statement, all of our holy midos, the holy traits and passions and emotions of a Jew, which are in the heart, hein mechachma bina das she'bemochen, they originate in some way from our mochi in our mind and those thoughts. Whether we're aware of it or not, those passions in our heart somehow started here and they went down to our heart. That's the concept of what we think about produces the emotions. Now, I want to restate it in a different way based on what the Balatanya says earlier on in the Sefer. And he says like this, that chachma is called Abba. Abba means father. Bina is called Ima, mother. All, we have also said that Chachma is the letter Yud and Bina is the letter He. Now the idea of that is that the letter Yud is the first insight that a person has. It's just like a flash of a thought. And it's not yet developed, like the perception. It's a seed. That's Chachma. Then Bina is mevin dover, mitoch dover. It's thinking about it, expanding it, contemplating on it, drawing it out, and pulling out all of the wisdom that was in that original kernel, kernel of thought, much like when you plant a seed, and then it grows into something. So the seed is chachma, and the growth is Bina. Now that's called father and mother because the zera, the seed of conception, comes from man. And that zera is like a yud. They're like drops of seed. That's a little yud. 
the woman is hay. She takes that zera from her husband and then expands it and builds it into a child. And notice the relationship of bina and bona. Bina and bona are related words. So she's building that seed into a child. It grows inside of her, and then it's born. So he is chachma yud, she is bina hey, and that's the act of conception on a physical level. It's also the act of conception on an emotional and intellectual level, and that's what he means here, that when chachma and bina are used properly, and we take an idea, and we expand upon it, and think about it, and reflect on it, then that's the father and mother coming together, and that produces, it gives birth to, it's molded, the emotions in the person of Ahava and Yura and Tiferes like Simcha. They are the children of that thought process. So Chachma and Bina are Abba and Ima, and the emotions, which are holy emotions we're talking about right now, because this is God-centered, the, the products of that relationship are Ava, Yura, in Kedusha. Now that's what's going on inside of us, and that's taken from the Sefer Hatanya in a different place. Ah, however, he Kesiv, it is written, Ula'om mil'omia amatz, it's coming up soon in the Torah, when Rivka Imenu is pregnant and she has twins, and she's told that there's an enormous struggle going on inside of her. There's two nations fighting, and one nation will overcome the other. That's the nature of the relationship of Yaakov and Esav. Ki haguf nikra ir And I was going to take a metaphor. He says the body of a human being is called a small city, an ir katan. Our body is like a city. So you look at the body, you've got a little village going on over here, you know, in your brain, and then there's another little section going on in your heart, and there's some people living over here in your kidneys, so that all stuff going on, it's like a city. And you could have two kings who are fighting over one city. Each melech wants to conquer the city and to rule it. V'limloch aleha. Dahaina, what does that mean to rule it? Lahanhig yoshveha kirtsona. That this ruler wants the inhabitants of the city to follow his decrees and his will. V'sheihiyu sarim l'nishma'usa. And that they would follow his instructions. V'chol asher yigzor alehem and all that he would decree. So kach, so too in the analogy. These two souls that we talked about, one is the nefesh elokis, what we call the neshama, the higher soul, that's two words for the same thing, the life force animal soul, the nefesh habahamis, that comes from the klipas noga, as we learn. These two souls Nilchamos zu im zu. They're fighting one with another. They're in a state of conflict. Al haguf, over the body. Vacholevarev, and all of its limbs and organs. It's like two rulers who want to take control of the body. So, this is a Balatanya's description of the battle between our Yetzer Hatov and our Yetzer Hara. 
And what we learned in the Ramchal, and the Derech Hashem calls the Milchama, the war, the ongoing war between Neshama and Guf, or Seichel and Guf. This is the Balatanya's exposition of this battle, that these two Malachim, these rulers, are trying to gain control over the city, and the city is the body of the person. What is the desire and the will of the Neshama? That the Neshama alone rules over the body and guides the body. And that all the limbs of the body would hearken to its commands, the Neshamas. And that the needs of the body would give themselves over, they would subjugate themselves to the soul, Legamre. Completely. Umerkava eleha, another important term. Literally, they would be a chariot for the neshama. A better word in English is a vehicle. That the body would be the vehicle through which the neshama expresses itself completely. levush, and that the powers of the body will be a garment, a presentation, a container. Leeser bechino seha for the ten facets of the soul. Now, we have not talked about this yet, although we have in other classes. The neshama itself is composed of the same ten midos, which are the same ten sephiros that God created to guide the world. So just like you have, I'll say it in Hebrew, keser chachma bina, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malchus. Those ten spheros are in the world that God made. Those same ten forces are inside of our neshama. We have Chachma in our neshama, we have Bina in our neshama, we have Chesed in our neshama, etc. So I can't go into the explanation of all ten, that'll take the rest of the whole semester. But for now... Those ten forces are inside of our neshama, and what we want is for them to be expressed through the body. That the chesed of the neshama is expressed through the chesed of the body, through chesed, tzedakah, maishim tovim. The gimel levusheha, and its three garments. The three garments are, earlier also in the sefer, very important thought, machshava, Dibur and Maisa, thought, speech, and action. Those are the three garments. What he means by that is this. I can think something, I can say something, and I can do something. So when I do that, the inner content of what I'm thinking, speaking, or doing is the source of that. So if I'm thinking Torah or thinking mitzvos then at that moment, our thought, our machshava, is a levush. It's clothing for a godly thought expressing itself. And so just like we express ourselves to an extent through our clothing, we make our presentation to the world in one way through our levush, the neshama expresses itself through the levush of the body. And if the body thinks holy things, and if the mouth speaks holy things, and if the body does holy things, 
the neshama is now being presented, dressed in the body into the world. So that's what he means, the three levushim of the body that, are, that the neshama expresses itself through. And what it wants, what the neshama wants is complete and total rule over the body in every one of those ten facets and in all of the three levushim. That's a very high madre. It's a person who does everything, everything, l'shem shamay. She'islab shukulam be'ivori haguf. That all of the neshama's facets and faculties are presented in the body. V'yihiyeh haguf kulo mole mehem levadam. And so that the body is only filled with those neshamadik things. V'lo ya'avor zor b'socham chas and that no stranger should pass through, meaning nothing foreign to Avodas Hashem. So what would that be? The Hainu. Plus Mochin Shabarosh. What would the Nishama like? The three intellectual capacities in our mind, which are Chachma, Bina, and Das. Yihiyu Memuloim Me Chachma, Bina, Das. Alright, so now I'm going to stop for a minute and explain that. Mm-hmm. Let me just read, read another line or two. Shehi chachmas Hashem ubinaso lehisbonen bigdulaso asher adin cheker ve'en sof. As a matter of fact, let me read it through and then I'll explain it. That'll be better. The chachma about Hashem, the bina about Hashem, the contemplation of God's greatness and His infinity and as a result of those thoughts, notice his words, to give birth, to produce, by means of this da'as, and love of God, like a flaming fire in his heart. Okay, so let's talk about that very deep concept, and also we have to draw it out a little bit. So Chachma and Bina we talked about. Chachma, the original flash of insight. Bina, drawing that out into deeper levels of understanding, expanding the idea. Now what about Das? We didn't talk about that yet. Das, according to the, the Balatanya, means that when a person has this knowledge fixed and firm, what we would say, I think, internalized, integrated, when it really becomes a part of you, that's Das. So with Chachma and Bina, it's an intellectual process, and we're involved in it, and we're affected by it, but when it gets to the realm of Das, that's like saying, it's us. We, we brought it in all the way, all the way deeply into our personality. That's where the emotions are truly produced. When we get to the point that those thoughts are having a deeper effect on us, then very refined and holy emotions are produced. That's what he's calling the Chachma, Bina, and Das of the Neshama, expressing themselves through the Chachma, Bina, and Das of the Guf in our brain, in our mind. And we're not fully brain-oriented because there's a strong connection between Bina and the heart. There's a concept of understanding of the heart as well. 
So we're kind of thinking in physical terms, brain, heart. But the Torah is thinking more brain and heart. They, they both are part of the process of understanding. So by, by a person investing in that, what's going to happen is these emotions will be given birth to. And when they're given birth to, that's what he calls Yeras Hashem, Ahavas Hashem. They are the result of that deep contemplation. Now that's that few lines there in an elaborated, an elaborated way. Okay, any questions or concepts? Yes, Rebison, please. Mm-hmm. So about the K, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very important insight because if we take this a step further, in terms of, let's say, a chart of the Midos, so Chachma belongs on the right side. Bina belongs on the left side. The left side is Gavura and Din, which is about boundaries. The right side is Chesed, which is about you know, giving forth. So, of course... It's consistent that you're building and expanding with boundaries. And we can see what happens, chas to shalom, in a human body if boundaries are crossed. Right? God forbid, a certain machla just grows, right? We don't want that. So the boundaries are extremely important in the growth. They define how far, how, how broad something grows, they give it its form and its texture. That's all part of the Mita of Bina. And woman is a protection. Right. So she's creating that for She's creating, form. forming, protecting. And then which the growth can Yeah. So Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Balatanya sets it up as a battle over the goof by the Nefesh of Muhammad and the Nefesh of Pete. So, yeah. is that the same thing really, or is it two different opinions about how the human being is in turmoil? Um, I think that it's two insights into this battle, and they're not quite the same thing. Because as you mentioned, the, the way the Ramchal says it, he even says between Guf and Seichel. Right, so he's more talking about the manifestation of the power of the Neshama, which is our Seichel, and the manifestation of the power of the Nefesh HaBahamis, which is our Guf, in battle with each other. The Balatanya is like one step back from that. It's more like in the source of the battle, the neshama versus the nefesh habahamis. Okay. So those, that's the makor of the battle. The ramchal is the actual opponents, the seichel and the guf. 
So it's like they're the armies that are out there, and the kings behind the armies are the neshama and the nefesh of Bahamas. It goes everywhere, including, including to the brain. It goes everywhere, including the brain. And then you see yeah. the <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the brain, and it goes down to the heart and everywhere. Right. But then you said after that, mm-hmm. I have to question, and it seemed like you were saying that, but really it all originates with the life force of the Nefesh Bahamas, which goes up, and is that a life source for the Nefesh or does it have no. its own life source? It has its own. Independent of the body and its blood and everything. The, the neshama has its own life source. Hashem attaches that life source to our body, but the neshama has its own life source. But of course, in some miraculous way, these two things are tied together. Because when you eat food, you live. And as a result of living, your neshama, your godly neshama, stays attached to your body. And the truth is, I guess in a certain way, maybe I have to adjust what I said a little bit, that what's known as the nitsotsos, the sparks, the spiritual reality inside of that food, that is helping our neshama exist. It's not the source of its life, but it does help our neshama. When we say a bracha and we eat kosher food, the spirituality of that food is released and it affects our neshama on a spiritual level. But it's not its source. And then my last question is um, all this contemplation, Yes. this can happen when one is like involved in the world? <laughs> <laughs> We're all hoping that, right? right. So there's a couple, two, two thoughts on that. One is, as Rebison asked, can all of this contemplation happen when you're out there in the world on a daily basis, right? It seems like you have to go into a room and just sit there and think. I think that you have to have time for both. In terms of our lives, realistically speaking, we have to somehow incorporate this into what we do with our life and be thinking about Hashem while we're living our life, which is really what we're striving to do. So those are not two separate things. And we can have thoughts about Hashem, and we should, when we're living our daily lives and running our home and raising our children and you know, going to the store and all the things that we do. The second part is, if at some point you should find in your busy, busy days as Jewish women, and you find a moment or two, so it happens once a month or once a year, and you find a moment or two and you think to yourself, I'm just going to think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a minute or two. That's also an important thing, just to kind of stop the world for a, for a moment and think about Hashem and what He means in your life. We really have to have both. And most people's lives don't allow for long periods of time of contemplation. And the truth is, we wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. We'd end up thinking about the stock market. Or maybe some other world, worldly thing. We have to be highly disciplined to take a half an hour or even 15 minutes and be misboning. Right? What he's talking about here, 
It's a little bit beyond us, but not fully beyond us, and we can do it in small amounts, and I think that we should try. Yeah, Regina, please. Um, Right. Even though we really know you don't, just say it. I <laughs> like I would say that you do, by the way. Huh? I would dispute the point. Although I know what he's saying and I appreciate no, it. I, we do you love Hashem. You know, just make a point I know. Of doing it, you know? I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. And um, another thing is the, when you talk about Bina, the base is still open. So when right. you're taking that information, you could still mess it up because other things are still able to come into yeah. that opening. It's not like it's always <laughs> always possible. There's always an open so side. Always. We're always subject to those mistakes. Just want to make one comment, and I'm sorry I can't get to the rest because I say I'm out of time. That the idea Regina said about something is kind of calling you, you know, so it could just be our, our appetite in our stomach. That's <laughs> the other side of it, and, and oftentimes it is. But there is an idea of a certain shaychus, a connection between the material things that each individual person has and their neshama. Like there is a reason why this person has this article of clothing and this one has that and this has this house and this that and this car and this that and this table and that table. There's a reason everybody has the physical objects that they do and a, a deep hashkocha reason. And what we're, our interaction with the world is very important regarding the property which is ours, that we own. It's important that we do the right things with it. And that sheds a little insight into why Yaakov Avinu went back for the Pachim Katanim, for the small jugs that he left before he met Asa. There's a little insight into that. Because every single thing we own, there's a reason for it, and we need to interact with it in order to use it. L'shem Shemaim is al bahashgacha what we own, what we don't own, what we buy and what we sell. There's something on a spiritual level happening with that. And although we can't have deep insight in, into that meaning, we can't perceive that, what's most important is what we do with what we have. And if we serve Hashem with what we have, then that connection between us and the things that we own is accomplished. Okay, have a great day, everybody. Hope to see you next week. Call two. <laughs> they limit me. It's all those boundaries and limitations, right? I mean, I have to ask you, Ms. Kula, I'm, I'm late upstairs. I, I, got, I got to get up there. They don't like me to come late. It's so hard for me. Okay. It's very, very hard. Well, it is hard. Hey, God. Yeah.